is Jolene Jackson, and I'm the National Vice President for Moms for America, where we believe that liberty begins at home, and how fun it is for me to teach with my husband, Al Jackson. Al and I have been married 30 years. We just had uh, our basketball boy just came in. We have a kid in the NBA. We don't get to see him very often, so he just flew in about 35 minutes ago. And wanted to uh, talk mama's ear off until about a minute ago. So I hope I've got my thoughts together here tonight. But um, we're so glad that you're with us. We're on the last lesson. You did it. We stayed together 16 weeks. I mean, that's like a serious commitment in this day and age. So we will uh, be discussing seminar four, section four tonight. And we've got some wonderful things ahead. I hope you'll stay with us. I feel like we're, you know, we're learning together. We've got our Thursday night cottage meeting online group uh, established. And so, well, thank you so much for being with us. We did it. We're in the last of our Healing of America seminar. I might ask you at the end of class today, what are some of the things that you've learned? Are you, has anything changed in your life with some of the things that you've learned? What kind of impact have these teachings had on you? And, uh, you know, I always say this Healing of America seminar is like a Bible study study for liberty. I mean, it's not like you, you know, read a Bible verse or a Bible story one time and you don't need to go back to it. You go back to it over and over and over throughout your life because you're a different person at different seasons. So different things mean different things to you in the Bible. Same with these (laughs) principles of liberty and freedom and these stories. They will, you know, depending on what is going on in the world, in the country, and in your life, certain things will mean more, and you'll have more of an understanding of why certain rights are so important at certain seasons of your life. And this is why we keep studying these principles throughout our life so that we can maintain and understand and perpetuate, just like Chris said, these freedoms that seem so fragile right now. So guess what? We're going to start the Healing of of America seminar next week, the 23rd of September. The wonderful thing, I always recommend people taking this a couple times because the the next go around, it's not going to feel like a a fire hose, you know, because you get a lot of information every week and we don't even cover everything. And you're, you know, we, we hope that you're following along and filling the blanks before class or after class and rereading it. And so it's going to start to sound a little bit more familiar and you're going to write a few more notes in it. And, you know, we went through the Healing of America seminar several times and then we took that leap of faith and we started teaching it when we no more felt like we were qualified and ready to teach it. I sure didn't. I mean, maybe you did. No, I didn't either. (laughs) But, you know, that that's how you learn is by giving what you know away. And uh, and so. There might come a time when people are just desperate and they don't know what to do and you will have this knowledge and you will have this material and out of desperation, you might have to gather people in your home and teach them these things that will bring them hope and vision and understanding. So God has brought you here for a reason. So just be humble about why you're here and why you need to continue to learn and seek these things teachings and and these principles deep into your soul 
because as you know them, you become an anchor for those around you. You become a stabilizing force when people are beside themselves with worry and anxiety and concern. And so we will teach these. You're going to get a, um, a email and you can go on to the, uh, the momsforamerica.us site you can click on and re-register tonight it's it's uh, registrations are all up for our fall series we also will have on wednesday morning uh, i've been teaching this healing of america seminar to the mamas uh, our new series for wednesday mornings for the mamas will be out of this uh, resource cottage meeting guide and it's 12 introductory lessons these lessons are beautiful and Dads, you're so welcome to join us on the Wednesday morning class if you if you want. You might not be able to, but our first class is Anchored in Hope. The second one is There's No Place Like Home. The third one is Ladies First. You educate the woman. The man will be educated for So Goes the Woman, So Goes the Nation. Then lessons four, five, and six is teaching the foundations of faith in your family, the valor of virtue, the power of patriotism. The next lesson is America, share the stories. This cottage meeting guide is chuck full of stories, beautiful stories that you can teach your children, your grandchildren that will inspire them. I give examples of how this looked in our home, our big basketball boy that just flew in from Detroit, Michigan a little while ago. Uh, you know, he's he's a he's out there in the world doing something really hard now, navigating his fifth year in the NBA. And, and the last few years, he has said, Mom and Dad, the things that you taught in our home, in that devotional in our home, made a difference. It's making a big difference to me now as he's out, kind of feels like in, by himself out in the midst of a storm, navigating that world that is so godless at so many levels. And and some of these great stories, you know, is what shows your children what faith looks like and what courage looks like and what patriotism looks like. And, and, um, and so anyways, that's a wonderful lesson. And then uh, capture the sunshine, how to teach your children and grandchildren through the arts and literature and poetry and music to love America. Um, uh, the wheat and the chafe, how to teach your children the constitution the law of the harvest, how to teach your children to love, to be self-reliant, and uh, and the dinner hour, the power of eating together as a family, and last lesson is raising the next generation of patriots. So these are beautiful lessons. I would really encourage mamas and dads, if you can, all these classes are recorded, and you can watch them online as well, and so that will be, these lessons will start October 6th. I'm actually going to take three weeks off uh, um, from teaching our Wednesday morning class, but we will start right next week with seminar one, uh, God's hand in establishing America on September 23rd, same time, same place, 930 Eastern standard time, 630 Pacific coast and everything in between. And so, um, you know, I always say the gospel of freedom is as real and as, a, as important as the gospel of Jesus Christ, because God's gospel can only prosper in environment, in an environment of freedom. This is why this is such a special land, because it is the home of the free and the land of the brave, and everyone still is trying to get here. And God will continue to bless and protect and heal our land. 
if we will do our part to preserve these freedoms and liberties and this inspired constitution that our founding fathers gave us. And, and they gave credit to God. They said it was struck off by his hand. And so this, this, this environment of maximum freedom means we're gonna have the maximum freedom to be able to worship our God according to the dictates of our own conscience and according to his law and that his promises will be fulfilled. And he is a God of miracles. And this nation in scripture says shall endure and he can heal our land as long as we continue to seek his face and we do our part. And we talked about in seminar four, as we heal ourselves, as we heal our family and our marriages, and then we can go out and we can be a part of healing our neighborhoods, our schools, <laughs> our communities. And uh, as we keep our family close and tight and we teach them these things of God and we teach them to pray and we teach them the stories of these great men and women that came before us to preserve what we have today so we can live in an environment of maximum freedom and worship God according to our beliefs. And then as we continue to learn and study together online, the constitution, God will put into our hearts what we can do. And it will look so different from each and every one of you. The fact that you're here, God has put that on your heart. You are doing something. You might eventually want to join up with couples in your neighborhood and start a, a, you know, a cottage meeting at night once a month. Or you might want to get a little bit more involved with who you're putting into office. Or you might want to run for office. Or you might want to write some letters. Or you might just want to start to pray with your family and have a, a Bible study uh, uh, morning or night with your family. Whatever it is, whatever our part will do, whatever our part will be, God, it will justify the heavens then for him to intervene and to begin to heal our land. You know, when they talk about the great and terrible day of the Lord in the end times, I do think it will be great for people who love God and who love freedom and are up and are trying to do something they're on that wall you know they're in position i mean they might be getting completely creamed but at least they're trying knowing just like chris's prayer that god has us you know versus it being a terrible day when you know people are just sitting by idly or apathetic or they're churning and they're angry and they're resentful and they just want to be taken care of or told what to do i don't think i don't think that will those will be good days and so I can guarantee you, everyone on this call is great because you're here. You're wanting to do something. And you certainly, I have to believe, you are trying hard to believe and, and to be obedient and to, to do what God is, is pressing on you to do. And so we have a really hefty title of our lesson today, Healing the Economy and International Relationships. Now, I just have to laugh when I come to this. We are getting into the lesson. You know, I mean, I almost think nowadays we kind of just have to shore each other up first. But I think this subject matter today, I, I always think I'm not really sure what little old me or little old you might be able to do as far as healing the economies or international relationships. But I do know maybe the prayers, my prayers might lead someone I know, maybe someone in my line, my posterity to do something that is unmanageable. It makes me think of um, George Washington's mother 
We were in Fredericksburg, Virginia, a few months ago, and this is the childhood home of George Washington, and his house is on the Rappahannock River. It's an hour from Washington, D.C., and the home of his mama is in Fredericksburg, Virginia, and also his sister. You can take tours of these homes. There's a darling little trolley that takes you around town. It's a great day to spend there. Marvelous um, visitor centers and Civil War battles are battlefields are there but as I as the trolley went past George Washington uh, mama's home I thought of that story when he was about 14 or 15 it's in the real George Washington book I forgot to bring that book down to show you but when he was about 14 or 15 he was quite large in stature and he wanted to go off and join uh, the Royal Navy like his half-brother Lawrence had done and his mother, he, he would call his mama the reverend, reverend mother, because she was a godly, God-fearing woman. And she was a woman of prayer. And she knew that this was not what this young man needed to do. And so it, it says in the book, his bags were packed. He was going, George Washington was going to join the English Navy and through her earnest solicitations, it stopped him. And I, I just have to smile, you know, uh, haven't we all had to have some earnest solicitations on the behalf of our children when we've had to probably just prostrate ourselves uh, to get them from not doing something that we just knew was not right for them. And I'm sure she never realized that her prayers and pleadings to the heavens would be the means of her son helping to birth a nation. And so, you know, when you think, what really, what impact can I have uh, on this subject matter tonight? You never know. And so this is our concluding session tonight. And we've talked about in this um, seminar four, how our freedoms consist of two components. Both are necessary to justify the heavens to intercede. And the first component is our own personal and family righteousness. And the second component is to be an active participant, to learn, to study, and then to be involved in our civic duties and public affairs and strengthening them. So to be successful in that first component of staying righteous as an individual and as a family unit, it's really based on what kind of relationship we have with our creator. I mean, we just can't give lip service and expect, you know, to receive the blessings that it, it takes from having a relationship with our God. It kind of reminds me of when I was working out uh, at a gym, my teacher yelled out to me, I was doing burpees <laughs> recently. And he said, exercise is um, like a relationship. It doesn't work if you cheat. Exercise is like a relationship. It doesn't work if you cheat. And it's the same way with having a relationship and, and determining your own personal worthiness. So God is bound to bless you. You know, we can't just say we love God in name only. We, you know, we have to put in the work of prayer and study and service and worship. And then we begin to feel his power in our life. And then as we do that, we are ready and able and willing to understand, you know, that that the restoration of, of certain constitutional documents is going to be the means, is going to be the tools that will be able to protect and preserve those unalienable rights so that we can have the moral agency to determine our level of relationship with God. And so when we're doing those four components, 
this is when people are blessed with the maximum freedom and prosperity and peace. And we saw that more, more uh, prevailing in, in our early history of our country. And so today we're, uh, you know, we've talked about in the last three lessons, what it takes to restore our personal righteousness. And, and last week we talked about what we need to do as far as um, some basic amendments that are going to be required to heal our constitution. And today we're going to talk about what we need to do to, to restore prosperity to the land. We're going to talk about a comprehensive monetary reform package that needs to come to pass and also how to reinstitute these principles of the free enterprise of production and distribution and this restoration you will see we'll bring back this freedom to try to buy to sell that has been hampered because we've seen now for so many decades just this growing government overreach and oversight and regulation and what that has done to our free markets now. And so let's turn here about 40 years ago, uh, Cleon Scals and the man that wrote these four um, seminars, he was friends with President Ronald Reagan, and he sent he submitted to Ronald Reagan in 1982 a document entitled uh, uh, "The Comprehensive Monetary Reform." And he wrote a cover letter uh, to uh, this monetary reform that he sent to President Reagan, and he said, "There's three three things that I, I believe." we need to cover here that it's important that the American people know the history of our monetary system. And secondly, they know, they need to know that uh, the, the reprehensible record, he calls it, of the Federal Reserve System. And, uh, and they need to understand this practical program uh, for a constitutional <coughs> monetary reform. And so about a month later, President Reagan returns a, a, a letter to him and he says, and I've actually seen this letter in the Skousen home. I'm friends with his daughters and maybe one, of, one or two sometimes hop on these classes from time to time. But I've seen that letter framed in the Skousen home and he said, thank you for sending me this set of recommendations about our monetary policy. He said, I have appointed special commissions to address these concerns and I will get back to you with their recommendations. And he said, let's not kid ourselves, though there's no instant cure for the result of 40 years of mismanagement. And he thanks him and he says, I will continue to work to justify your approval. And we know that um, uh, in Simi Valley, California, where that presidential library is, there was a room uh, named after Cleon Skousen because of the, their friendship that they had. And so Al is going to take us now into um, what, what this monetary reform suggests, some of the, the problems and some of the solutions. Okay, great, thanks, Jolene. So in our manuals, it says the first solution to America's current economic crisis, and, and we are in an economic crisis at this point with $32 trillion of debt, inflation, and so forth. I think we all on this Zoom tonight can recognize that. And the concern behind that is the fact that the Federal Reserve controls the nation's money. So let's go back to seminar three where we had the meeting at Jekyll Island in Georgia, where six men got together to form what we now know today is the, as the Federal Reserve. These men represented one fourth of the total wealth of the entire world. 
men like Rockefeller were represented, J.P. Morgan, Rothschild, there was a senator, Nelson Aldrich, senator from Rhode Island, and the assistant secretary of the United States Treasury. So they came up with a system that does basically two things. The Congress and this banking cartel, which is private men, private men and women, have entered into a partnership in which the cartel has the privilege of collecting interest on the money it loans to the federal government. Money which it trades out of nothing because we've moved off the gold and silver standard. The Congress, on the other hand, because of this arrangement, has access to unlimited funds without having to tell the voters their taxes are being raised to the process of an inflation. It's an amazing deal that they came up with that both sides benefit from. I'm going to print money because it's not tied to gold and silver, and then I'm going to loan it to the government and then charge interest, and that's how I'm going to make my money. There's nothing federal or reserve about it. So you couple the creation of the Federal Reserve with the adoption of the 16th and 17th Amendments, and that's what we have today, which is a mess. The 16th Amendment allows the federal government to go around the states to tax you directly. And because the 17th Amendment allows for senators to be elected by the people, the result, $32 trillion worth of debt. And that may not matter to the majority of Americans, but that interest on that debt has to be paid every year. And at some point here in the next few years, the interest on that debt that has to be paid every year will exceed the defense budget, which is around $750 billion. So since the senators are elected now by the people, what's the best way to stay in office? It's to take from those who have and give it to those who have not. Bring home the goodies is the mantra of both the House and the Senate, which destroys that horizontal check and balance that the founders gave us between the House and Senate and removes that all important vertical check and balance by having the states through their appointed senators were originally to protect the people and families from a runaway federal government. So now you've got two houses that are elected by the people by popular vote. So we elect them the first time and then it's in special interest that keeps them in office. So the first solution highlighted in the seminar tonight is repeal the Federal Reserve Act, which can be achieved without the need of an amendment to the Constitution. And in the act itself that was passed in 1913, it outlines the procedure necessary for the Congress to take back complete control of the economy and dissolve the Federal Reserve anytime Congress desires to do so. Anytime Congress desires to do so, they can do it through passing legislation. So you've got 1913, which we've got the Federal Reserve Act, we've got the 16th and the 17th Amendment, all under the direction and purview of Woodrow Wilson. Okay, so the second thing we need to do, the second concern is what we alluded to earlier, American citizens are taxed directly. 
So the Congress can go around the states and go directly to you and go into your pocket and directly tax you. And so the solution is we need an added amendment to the Constitution that repeals the 16th Amendment. And then we go back to indirect taxes. We go back to funding the government through imports, imposts, excise taxes, and so forth. And those direct taxes were just designed to be used during an emergency. And if it was a direct tax, the states would decide based on their representation on the House, how much they would contribute to the budget. And they would come up with that money any way that they saw fit according to the will of the people. So we need to repeal the 16th Amendment. And you will note that this, it's one other thing here. So in addition to that, the federal legislature should reverse and clarify the general welfare and commerce clause, which was, which was an outgrowth of the Butler case of 1936, which we highlighted in seminar three. And in the Butler case of 1936, the Supreme Court basically said the government could spend money on whatever they deemed important to the people. And if you think about it, that's right during the time of the depression. And you've got FDR putting pressure on the Supreme Court, wanting to pack the court. And so that's when they changed the definition of the general welfare and commerce clause and just open the door to massive spending. And you couple that with the repeal of the 16th amendment, adding the 16th amendment and the 17th amendment, and you've got things just out of whack. Congress should also achieve a balanced budget. Right now, we take in about $1.7 to $1.8 trillion in taxes each year. However, the federal budget is about $3.2 trillion. So we're already starting by borrowing money, and that's where the deficit comes. One of the things that Congress can do is over the years, because you're taxing the people at an alarming rate and bringing all this income in, and the senator's desire to stay in office, then you create more regulations. You create more and more agencies. So within these agencies, you, the result is more regulations. And these regulations are mostly written by people who've never served in the private sector before. They're bureaucrats who've never served in the private sector. So they're lifelong government employees that are regulating these businesses. And we'll just touch on a few things that they can deregulate right from the very beginning. Deregulate housing, which would begin a whole new boom in the American economy. Right now we've got housing and urban development. We don't need that agency. Let the states deal with that. Let's deregulate steel so we can bring steel jobs back to America. We can deregulate the railroads. I thought that was interesting until we actually explored it. The railroads are regulated so much that the average speed of a rail car is 35 miles per hour, which is inefficient and ineffective. Hence, you've got all these tractor trailers that are overloading the highway system to deliver goods and services to people. We want to deregulate business. One of the ways we can do that is to get rid of the Environmental Protection Act and the Occupational Safe and Healthy Health Commission that department that's created at the federal level and leave that regulation of business to the states. Deregulate the airlines. The federal government should only be there to 
provide safety oversight. And as you can see, this overregulation has caused these industries to consolidate. You've got Delta merging with Northwest Airlines, United and Continental, creating these huge companies who don't care about personal service anymore. And the prices are, they all collude on the pricing because they've taken all the competition and shrunk it down to just a few companies. We can all agree on this on this Zoom tonight, deregulation of education and dismantling of the National Education Association, which was formed in 1978. We don't need a Department of Education that is outside the purview of Article One, Section 8 in the Constitution. Congress is not supposed to be involved in education. Go ahead and yawn your name. I'm okay. Right. <laughs> no, I'm enjoying myself. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> Let's see. And another thing. The lands west of the Mississippi, the majority of those lands are owned by the federal government. Utah, 67% federal government owned. Alaska, 98%. California is pretty high. I can't remember the number. Nevada, New Mexico, the federal government owns all those lands. We calculated, we talked about this in some of our seminars, that if the federal government would sell that land back to the people, they could wipe out the national debt. Didn't we hear the other day, $32 trillion since the beginning, since when Jesus was born, $32 trillion. You can spend $1 million a day and still not exceed that number, $32 trillion of our debt. Another thing we could do is return all national forests and national parks back to the states. Maybe we wouldn't have this, this issue of California fires if the states were able to go in and clean up the forest, clean all the debris that's on the bottom that's causing these fires. So in summary, all these changes concerning the operation of our present government can be successfully achieved in four years or less. An amendment to the Constitution repealing the 16th Amendment, legislation to do away with the Federal Reserve, and deregulating a lot of these items, which we just highlighted in four years, you can achieve a restoration of the constitution. Okay, Jamie. Wow. I was really enjoying listening to you. You're smart. I mean, you look like you're nodding off. <laughs> you make it sound so easy too, you know? So let's switch gears a little bit and talk about restoring America's international relationships. The Western Hemisphere has always been seen as the first bastion of freedom. And in this wonderful book, The 5,000 Year Leap, the um, 28 principles that changed the world, the last principle talks about, and the founders felt this in their hearts, that um, that the United States had a manifest destiny to be an example and a, and a blessing to the entire human race, the world. And so when freedom came to them, they were expansionists. They wanted to increase their land through economic and business growth. They didn't want to be imperialists like the Europeans had been who would come in and conquer, you know, conquering sub subjugation by conquest. And, and it was like hard power and they'd hold colonies dependent and extend authority over empires and nations. So, you know, we had, we had a different feeling about that. In fact, you know, it was interesting at the time in, in their early history 
that our founders actually wanted um, Central and South America, as well as Mexico, to ultimately set up a union and to be called the United States of Latin to join together so the borders would be seamless. Now, <laughs> their leaders in those countries weren't having it, but they, they wanted kind of a united Western hemisphere. And, you know, that they were determined that while the rest of the Western hemisphere was liberating itself in those various parts, they didn't want to seem to be a, a part of the United States of uh, Latin America, that they, they America, the, the leaders didn't want any imperialistic powers of Europe to, you know, continue to uh, encroach or invade. And hence we had that Monroe Doctrine that came around during our fifth president. And it was interesting, King George III actually liked that Monroe Doctrine before he died in 1823. He encouraged the United States to, to, to issue that because he was concerned uh, he wanted to, to prevent and prohibit uh, countries like France or Spain from trying to continue to expand their dominions in the Western Hemisphere as a threat to other European imperialistic powers. And so, you know, even though our, our founders, they weren't able to, to be completely successful in some of their formulas with international dealings, and, and I'm thinking mainly about, you know, how they didn't want to meddle, just like the Monroe Doctrine said, they didn't want to meddle in the affairs of other countries. As long as you didn't come and attack us, we were not going to proactively, uh, you know, meddle in, in their affairs. So we haven't always been perfect, you know, particularly mm -hmm. the last hundred years in, in that founder's um, formula uh, to, st to stay separate. But um, what we have done, though, is really quite remarkable in as much as we've been able you know, we have 320 million people in America today. We've demonstrated how people from all over the world throughout our history, Europe, Asia, Africa, Latin America, have been able to come and live unitedly in this free land with relative harmony, to be honest with you, and to receive a, a mutual benefit that, that couldn't have been found without the kind of freedom uh, that we have here. And so when they really call America the gigantic melting pot. It is because we've demonstrated that even though we have a wide variety of cultures, we have been able to blend uh, in a free society and prosper as a nation. And we're, we're seeing a lot of enmity right now, uh, but I think that is because enemies of, our enemies of freedom are wanting us to turn against each other. But that was not the case the first hundred years, you know, and, and, and we have a, a beautiful history we can be proud of, of being a gigantic melting pot. So it talks about being an, an American pledge. So we had this Monroe Doctrine uh, that we wouldn't meddle in the affairs of other countries. And our founders, it says this in principle 25, they wanted friendship and commerce <laughs> with all nations and they didn't want entangling alliances uh, with, with nations because if, if you made an ally of one country, that ally's enemies now instantly become your enemies. So they wanted their position on foreign relations has been misinterpreted. It wasn't a policy of isolationist but one is separatism. They wanted kind of the new and the old world to remain separate, separate spheres of influence and independent nations. 
And really what they wanted is they wanted our greatest export to be freedom, to be what the divinely inspired constitution could give the world. This, this idea that even the pilgrims, when they came to this new world, they knew that they were going to be alive on a hill and that we would be able to glorify God here and do good and that we would be under his umbrella of protection and where much was given, much was going to be required and that we were gonna take this freedom and these ideas to the world. And really what our founders were hoping for is for a higher civilization for the world from what was going to come from this experiment on freedom. And they knew that this peace and this prosperity and this freedom would be, that's what they wanted to be our greatest export. And they wanted it to be able the constitution to enrich all mankind. And this is our challenge today, it says, to help America continue to climb that summit because we're getting lost. We have been getting lost on this, on this quest. And, you know, how can the rest of the world follow if America isn't, you know, good? And that's what Alex Tocqueville in Democracy in America wrote. The reason why America is great is because we are good. And good to me means godly. When we stop being good, we will no longer be great. When we stop being godly, we will no longer be great. And it has been a slippery path in this century. And, uh, you know, even in our um, upward struggle during the past 200 years, the American people have been able to lead the world so much of the time in remarkable ways. And, and as we continue to stay close and true to the vision of the founders, we can continue to be good. And this is why we study, we, we study their recipe for success and, and what happened, you know, under the first hundred years of living these principles. So a model to the world, you know, um, it's interesting, Cleon Skousen who wrote these seminars uh, in the eighties was asked by representatives in the Western hemisphere from Canada on down to Argentina to um, write a model constitution for some of these countries. So he studied constitutions as a blueprint and he, he kind of discerned the science of writing constitutions involves the inclusion of all the principles that our founders put into the United States Constitution. It's interesting here in the book, there's a picture of Leon Skousen shaking the hand of John Paul II, Pope John Paul, who was the Pope from 1978 to 2005 for 27 years. Mm -hmm. He was a great one. And he, at this point in time, this picture, he had come to America in 1987 when Reagan was president and he spoke on Constitution Day. And he gave a beautiful, um, the Pope John Paul gave a beautiful address <laughs> extolling the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence and our freedom and our founding fathers. And Cleon Skousen was there at that event. And um, he, uh, he came to the Pope and Typically, now I've never met the Pope, but I've seen it on TV. People will kneel and, and kiss his ring. And uh, Skousen said, I am a high priest in my church. And so I can't kiss your ring because I have a commitment to my Lord that supersedes that courtesy. And immediately the Pope got up and put out his hand and curtsied and, 
and shook his hand. And he said, yes, I'm familiar with your church and I appreciate the work that you are doing with these constitutions. He said, I know you probably don't use the rosary, but I want to give you something. So he took off his rosary and gave it to Cleon Skousen. And we have seen that rosary in their house. And the Pope would go on to say in that address that he felt the time would come when the constitution, uh, these principles would be taught to all the countries, North and South, and that their constitution should follow our constitution from Canada on down to Argentina and that they should change their constitution to get in harmony with the United States constitution because he felt that one day there would be a unifying effort to get this movement into South America. Isn't that interesting? And so Cleon Skousen, as he studied these constitutions, he um, you know, came up with certain principles that a constitution should have. And Al is going to explain to us what that entails. Okay, very good. So each constitution in a free society must contain certain basic ingredients in order to survive. The first thing a constitution should have is a statement of intent. And the reason is, is to provide a universal understanding by the public, guide the courts in their interpretation, and facilitate the teaching of its principles. So when we look at the preamble of the U.S. Constitution, it contains all three of those fundamental principles. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish the Constitution of the United States. You can take this to any class across America and read this with the students and go through it and build on those principles that are there. And when you think about what the founders envisioned as they were students of history. This is actually found in the 5,000 year leap. And because the founders were students of history, they knew the two extremes to avoid. They were tyranny on the left and anarchy on the right. Today, we measure government based on political parties. We say the left and the right. The founders would have said that is no way to measure government because government defined is a system of ruling or controlling. And the two extremes you want to avoid are tyranny and anarchy. So we need to take our hats off to the founders for finding something right smack dab in the middle that's called people's law, where the land belongs to the people. The government belongs to the people. It doesn't belong to a king. And there is a government where there's no anarchy. And history has shown that civilizations have gone from tyranny to anarchy. There's just a swinging pendulum that goes back and forth. So you've got a tyrannical king. The people rise up and say, we've had enough with this king. We are going to get rid of him or her. And we're going to bring somebody else in. So we go in there, we cause a war. And then all of a sudden we have anarchy. And then somebody like Napoleon stands up and says, hey, I'll, I'll bring law and order to the, to the country here. And then 
boom, you go right back to tyranny. And that swinging pendulum goes back and forth. So the question is, the founders, how do you find something that falls in the middle where there's enough government, enough security, and there's enough security for the people in a government, but not too much government to abuse their rights. And so everything that we're talking about tonight will restore the constitution by swinging that pendulum back to the middle because we're actually closer and closer we are to tyranny. As Benjamin Franklin said, he said, we'll have a tendency to gravitate towards kingly government because self-government and freedom is just too hard. And we will, and we see it today. We, we wanna be told what to do. We wanna centralize government so that we don't have the responsibility of governing, governing ourselves. And so you've got this three-headed eagle here, the judiciary, the executive branch, the legislative branch, they're all working through a single neck. Consolidation of power, but allowing these three agencies to operate independently and, and providing the horizontal check and balances to keep them in line. And then you've got the state government that's down here with all these eagles, and you've got the senators who are right here who are protecting the people and the family from a runaway federal government. Those checks and balances have been destroyed, and we need to put them back through the restoration of the Constitution. Okay. So the Constitution should also contain a Declaration of Rights, which is found in our own Bill of Rights. Freedom of conscience, freedom of religion, freedom of expression, freedom of petition, freedom to assemble. A statement of security rights, such as the right to bear arms, the right to be protected from testifying against oneself, the right of a trial by jury, and guaranteed due process of law, three branches of government, legislative, executive, and judiciary. Most governments in our, in our past have not had a judiciary. And then you've got the economics of a country where the sound money system is based on metals with 100% redeemable currency. No fractional banking is allowed where the bank can loan out more money. That's actually what's in the vault. That's what we have today. It's an absolute mess. Good. Let's talk about exporting sound principles of the United States Constitution. Abraham Lincoln said, the philosophy of the classroom in one generation is the philosophy of the laws, government, government, government in the next. The philosophy of the classroom in one generation is the philosophy of government in the next. And so we need to do a better job of teaching our children these principles of liberty so that they can be part of the solution and not the problem. So therefore we need a constitutional curriculum that teaches the essential ingredients of a free market economy that include a political system which provides maximum freedom for the individual an open exchange of goods and services in the free market and an understanding of what capitalism is. Our young people today are promoting things of socialism and communism as they hold their iPhones and sip their lattes, not correlating 
the fact that they've, they've got these blessings and this wonderful technology because of comp competition, because of capitalism, because of the law of supply and demand. And then we want to also, we need to teach these kids what socialism actually is and what the intent is behind it and why the founders made socialism unconstitutional. The impact of socialism on the structure of Republican system of government. These are the things that we need to teach our children in the classroom, religion, morality, and knowledge. Okay. And I think what he says there is to teach other countries to implement um, these kind of principles in their public educational curriculums, because it's these principles that lift everyone. That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Okay. Hey, just, just for your FYI, it's Constitution Day on tomorrow. Tomorrow. The Constitution will be 234 years old. It is the, did you know, even though we're one of the youngest countries, we, our constitution is the oldest written constitution still in use today. And it's one of the shortest. It's only about 7,000 words. Uh, it's really straightforward and simple as I'll explain, but this wonderful celebration of those 39 signers, uh, September 17th, where they were putting forth that the supreme law of the land was the constitution, not executive orders, not Supreme Court edicts or administrative regulatory law, but the supreme or the constitution of the United States. So this last little section just talks about if we could teach the principles of prosperity to the world outside of the government, you know, what the government can do to make us financially secure. But if we can achieve personal security, um, what would, might that look like? Well, the formula for a happy, secure life for everyone worldwide would be to get a basic education, develop a skill, get some savings, have some, pull your risk and some insurances, own a home, develop a high quality of family life. So your family's your safety net when things go wrong. They're the first people you go to. And then as you do that, you will have a, a life when you do retire, one where you can do what you want. You can serve, you can you know, do those things that you've always wanted to do. And hopefully it's to make the world a better place. Um, you know, Vody Bachman is a Vody Bachman. And he's a black minister. Yes. And he speaks so beautifully. He's on Glenn Beck quite a bit, isn't he? Mm -hmm. I've, I've heard you. I've listened to him a little bit by default. Yeah, he's great. He's you've, great you've introduced me to the most amazing people in my mm -hmm. family I might not have quite clued into. So anyway, he's a black minister and he talks especially eloquently against critical race theory that our kids are just being pounded on at school. <laughs> We're just stunned when we have conversations with our boy who's a senior in high school and he tells us what almost in every class. Even the yeah, math, they're there weaving race and everything and his English class. So what they do is, yeah, they get to write reports and what they learn from these essays, but the essays that they pick promote a narrative and it's white supremacy and black victimhood and they weave it in all their classes how do you spell his is it Vodi v-o-o-d-i-e bachman 
V O O D no V O D D I E B A C H M A N Bachman yeah just pull him up and listen to him he's so good but he said in order to have you know security financial security in life for the black man you should what did he say finish school get married have a family and stay out of trouble yeah, that, that's the that's the recipe yeah. for for everyone finish, right that's really for everybody and, and it reminded me of Bodie Bachman's uh formula finish school get married in that order then have a family and the chances of him living in poverty will be less than two percent imagine that we don't we don't need all these stimulus checks there was a headline in the washington post the other day they were so proud to say that the government has lifted more people out of poverty through their stimulus checks than ever before more people have come out of poverty because of the help of the government like that was such a good thing you know like that's a long-term solution to success is just keep looking i think we call that socialism fascism when the government directs and takes care of everything that you do and ultimately the quality of life does not go up it goes down your level of security does not go up when the government is uh, dictating and providing your security and so ultimately this is how we end this lesson today that all these truths really can be found in the curriculum <laughs> to healing our country in this healing of america course this is why you just can't take it one time there's just too much to digest you know it's like it's like bible study we're going to study our bible for the rest of our lives so we need to go through this uh, and, and we didn't go through everything here we just kind of went through the highlights you know you've seen me talk about this book before the making of america the most comprehensive study line by line of what our founding fathers intended when they established the constitution and gave us what they did and um this certainly would be i studied this for two years in my cottage meeting uh, uh and after two years, we women had a different understanding of the Constitution and all those inspired principles that our founding fathers meant to be lived and incorporated in this land of free. And it really should be a required reading for any leader that wants to be a part of the restoration of the Constitution. So living these principles of, the, of this monetary reform and, and these principles of having our greatest export be our constitution and everything that goes along with that helps <coughs> all people to live the highest degree of freedom and prosperity and peace in their life. You know, you might say, well, in my sphere of influence, I don't know if I'm going to really be instrumental in repealing some amendments or acting, enacting other amendments in the constitution. I might not really be able to influence people internationally or restore relationships or even be a part of exporting or modeling the constitution to other nations. But, you know, what we can do is just like um, Congressman Scott, I don't know if you've heard me tell this story before a few months ago, Senator, Senator sorry, Senator, Con Senator Scott from South Carolina in his rebuttal to President Biden's uh, 100 day review speech. I think it was the end of April. It's a 14 minute speech he gave. You should Google it. Senator Tim Scott, uh, 
rebuttal speech to Biden in April. But he said when he was a young boy, his uh, parents divorced and he and his brother and mama had to move back to her parents' house, his grandma and grandpa. And they all had to share one bedroom and he was very churned up and disillusioned. And he said that his mother prayed him through this period in his life. And it was through her example that he became a Christian. And that changed his life. And he said in one generation, so mama or someone in that family was picking cotton. He said in one generation, his family went from the cotton fields to Congress and that he was there today because of his mother's prayers. And through her prayers, he is now in a position to heal this land and to heal the constitution and, and have a, a grander uh, you know, role in his part. And so, you know, I don't think a mother's prayer, a father's prayer is any less important than what Congressman Scott might be doing in, in the Senate today. Just like George Washington's mother prayed him for making a mistake and, 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 and directing him in, in a path that would go on to change our lives to this day. And so, you know, you just don't know the influence that we're going to have on international relations or, or the economy uh, with our children or our grandchildren or those around us. It's been said, if God wants to change the world, he doesn't use bullets or battalions or congresses or battles, but instead he puts an idea in the mind of some obscure mother in a simple little home and he instills in her heart and mind, and then she instills that idea into the baby's mind and into the heart, and then that God waits. The greatest forces in this world are not the earthquakes, are not the thunderbolts, but they are babies. When a wrong needs writing, when a truth needs preaching, when a nation needs healing, he uses his inspired mothers and fathers and grandparents to teach his children. I really believe that we are righteous families that are trying. We are the future of America and, and it is in our hands. And God has put ideas into your heart, hopefully over this last 16 weeks. And now he's, he waits. And I love that scripture that talks about in Second uh, Kings, those who stand with us are greater than those who stand against us. There are unseen um, angels, warrior angels that are by our side. And, um, and so just take heart in knowing that, that those who stand with us, these unseen angels are real. And when we are worried sick about what we're seeing in the news and what we're seeing in our communities and schools, that, you know, as we continue to do our part, they will be there assisting us and so we just really thank you so much for having the faith to show up each week over this last 16 weeks. We have had an amazing time learning and studying and being here with you. Um, just know that we will be back again next week with seminar number one, God's Hand in the Establishment of America. You should all have your lesson manuals. Hopefully you filled in the blanks and now you can really start to take some notes because God might need to use you as an instrument in his hands to teach those in, in your sphere of influence at some point. And so look for that um, 
email that will come to you or just go to momsforamerica.us now and you can just sign up it's super simple for the class on thursday and also the wednesday class that will start october 16th hey.